Our reading today comes from Zechariah, Zechariah, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Uh, if you need a Bible, they are always available in the back corner. You can pick one up. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one and make it yours and take it home and use it. Um, Zechariah is not to be confused with Zephaniah, which is also an Old Testament prophet, and Zechariah, who is a New Testament person who sings a song. Usually during Lent, you hear it um, as he sings a song about the birth of his son, John the Baptist. So uh, lots of names that are very, very similar, and it gets a little bit tricky to— discern, but it's, it's good. Zechariah chapter 2. I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to see its width and what, it, and what is its length. And the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited like the villages without walls because of the multitude of people and animals in it. For I will be a wall of fire all around it, says the Lord, and I will be the glory within it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, we've been digging through these books called the, or that we've been, we've been calling this series the Temple Builders, but there are these four books that are written in the Bible, and they're written right around the time that the temple gets built. This temple that, it, that has been torn down by Babylon almost 50 years earlier, and how the people rebuild their city of Jerusalem. We talked about Ezra, and how Ezra started with prayer, and with beginning to understand what God was saying to them which was an essential beginning of where they're going. Two weeks ago, we talked about a guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a a lay person, a person who really wasn't involved in a a lot of what was going on in Jerusalem, but he felt God calling him to do something important. And so he, uh, in the midst of dealing with his own self-doubt and the realities around him, was able to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and give them security. Last week, uh, we talked about Haggai, and Haggai— Um, prophesied. He began to bring a message from God saying, this is what God is calling you to do, and it was to uh, begin working on the temple itself. And we saw the amazing result that came from that. But this week, uh, we get to Zechariah. And Zechariah is an odd duck, to say the least, if you didn't know this. Um, If you didn't notice by the reading, here's how he starts his writing. He says, I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand, and I asked, where are you going? He answered me, yeah, we'll do both of them. He answered me to measure Jerusalem to see what, it's, what, it's, what is its width and what is its length. And so here's the beginning of chapter 2. It's kind of great. He looks up, and he sees a guy with a measuring tape. Wait, what? Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but sometimes I open the Bible and I read, and I get to the end of the sentence and I go, I do not understand what is going on. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you've never felt that way, uh, but I felt that way a lot of times. And I got to the end of this first line, the one that's in a little bit of gray up there. He was, he was measuring this line. He, he was standing there, and he was holding this measuring line. And I'm going, I don't understand what's happening. I looked up and saw a guy with a tape measure, and why on earth was he looking down and he just looked up, or was the guy in the sky, or I I don't know what's happening right now, but inevitably we begin to understand that these writings tend to be a little bit confusing. So naturally, he asks, what are you doing? Nope, that's not the question. Maybe that would be my question. Why do you have a measuring tape? But, But Zechariah asks a very different question. He asks this question, he says, where are you going? 
Where are you going? Which hopefully will shed a little bit of light into what's going on. And it says um, to measure Jerusalem, to see its width, and to see its length. A couple things. This has got to be a really big measuring line. Because cities don't get measured with measuring tape. Measuring, measuring line would be something you'd pull it out and then you would know how long it was and you'd have like a big stick that was long enough so you could measure how many, you'd have like your yardstick and you'd measure how many yards it was um, so that you could cut down the way that was measuring before they had really long, nice, convenient tapes. And so he's saying, I'm going to measure the length and width of the entire city of Jerusalem, which begs an important question. Why on earth is this happening? What is going on? I don't understand, Zechariah. And let's be honest, this is one of these, going to be one of these weird, we don't understand what's going on stories. The section is entitled this, The Third Vision. In fact, Zechariah is filled with visions. There's all these different visions that God is giving Zechariah to see things. We're not even entirely sure that he's actually seeing it or if he's closing his eyes and he's envisioning it. We're not sure how this works or how this gets divided up or how all of this is going, but we're told that this is some sort of a vision. But to be honest, I watched a movie this week and it felt a lot lot like some sort of confusing uh, 90s excellent adventure that a few of us watched and tried to understand what was going on. Bill and Ted was on this week. It was still good. I'm just telling you right now, I can't believe it. it. It really was. And so you're watching some of these things and you're trying to understand why is Zechariah telling us this important thing? Can we get to why? Here's verses 3 and 4. Then the angel who talked to me came forward with another angel and said to me, came forward to meet him and said, run, say to that young man, that must be Zechariah, Jerusalem will be inhabited like villages without walls because the multitude of people, because of the multitude of people and animals in it. I'm going to go with no help for 100, Alex, on this one right now. I still don't get it. We're reading this and we're going, what is he getting to? And what's the point that he's trying to get to? And then we read verse 5. For I will be a wall of fire around it, says the Lord, and I will be the glory within it. And this is where I begin to get it, and maybe I can help you just a little bit. The Lord is measuring Jerusalem because he intends to protect it. They've been building this wall because they're scared of their enemies. And God says, Zechariah, why don't you close your eyes, and why don't you take a minute, and I'm going to have this message for you to bring to the people. I am measuring Jerusalem because I am going to protect it. And that last verse about all these different things, different peoples and animals and all these people, all these groups are going to be able to live in it because it's going to be my protection, not yours. Your protection just isn't big enough to be able to protect all these people. Let me show you the vision that I have for what I can do for Jerusalem. He's seeing what could and what should be. This is what vision is all about. This is what vision talks to us about, and it gives us this idea that there's something beyond what we can see and what we can understand. In, in the King James Version, Proverbs 28, 19 was, was quoted this way. By the way, if you're a business leader and you've ever heard the Bible quoted in a business, um, in a business setting, this is more than likely the verse that you have heard quoted. Proverbs 28, 19. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, this tends to be very useful as a little quote 
uh, when you're in large business settings because they're saying, we want to cast this vision for what's going to come and what are we going to see going forward. But what Solomon is saying in all his wisdom, I believe, is if you can't envision where you're going, how are you ever going to get there? If nobody can see the path, if as a community you haven't talked about what it is and where it is that you're going to go, how on earth are we going to make it? If we can't imagine what's in front of us, we're in trouble because we can't head toward what we can't see. And so for the rest of our time together, I want to dig into this simple question. What kind of church do we see? If we were going to take this, if we were going to say, well, where are we going? What kind of church do we see? Because sometimes the scripture asks, lends, it, lends itself to a question that says, well, where are we going as a community, and what are we doing? And I get the chance to share this one-on-one, and we talk about these things. Uh, the leadership team has discussions about where are we going and what we're doing. The staff does the same thing. We have them over coffee. We have them in big rooms. But I don't get the chance to kind of share with you uh, the answer to this really simple question. What's the church that we see when we close our eyes and think about where we're going? Where are we going together, and who do we hope to be? So I want to spend some time with that. When I close my eyes and dream, I see a church that worships God like God has given us all we need. That's the church I see. A church that worships God like God has given us everything we need. Uh, My biggest frustration about how I grew up was this, and this was the part, kind of all the confluence of my life put together, was that the theme of how I grew up was this. God's okay to a point, but let's not go crazy. Now, that happens sometimes. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe somebody really said that to you. These words were said in my life by someone who was an influencer in my life. They said, we're not the kind of people who pray every day. Come on, you know? And I was like, that really said something to me. And I kind of grew up with that idea. We like God to a point, but, but there is a point at which there are the people, and, and they're a little bit nutty, and I don't quite know what they're doing over there. But the thing about it is, is that this um, is the same church that sang these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. You see, we can say these things in the same sentence. God saved me from all of this brokenness and pain. That I needed God for everything that was in me and everything that was in my life. But at the same time, but, you know, whoa, slow down here a little bit. We can't quite put all these things together. We don't want to get crazy here, right? And so we sort of stopped and we took this step back and we went, okay. But when those words, words that we sing together and we rejoice and they're deep in our bones, we stand together and we say, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. These were the words of worship for our mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and those people who made the walk up the hill in Jerusalem as they worshiped. You see, when I close my eyes, I see a church filled with people who have turned over their whole broken selves to God. And they worship. 
with their hearts and their words and their song, with their actions and with their hopes. And the best part is, is that there are mornings that I come in here and that's what I get to see. And I get to rejoice because we can see, I can see it in your hearts. I can see it in the way you concentrate and the depth of what's going on. You write notes and you talk about what God's doing in your life. You begin to share your heart about where you see God moving. And I pray that that becomes the heartbeat of our whole congregation. It's a beautiful thing. I pray that we are filled with people who have turned their lives over to a God who has turned his life over for them. When I close my eyes, I see a church that builds each other up like everyone matters. I want to be honest. And I want to be real honest. We are a caring church, but we are also, at times, a very hesitant church. We tend to be careful with what we share in this community. We tend to be careful about how much we want to let people in. Somebody says, you're okay. Are you, how are you doing? And you're broken up all week long, and you've been suffering and in pain, and you say, I'm good. Or you give the humble brag, I'm just busy. I'm so guilty of this, by the way. That's, that's the socially acceptable way of telling people that you're important. I'm busy. I've been so busy lately. I just can't quite keep up. Um, and this is, when I say that, somebody needs to explain to me that I'm not that important. Please stop me and tell me, no, 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 slow down, Pastor Bob. You're just running yourself like a crazy person. But we tend not to let each other in. And we tend to be real careful around each other. We avoid painful topics, and we don't challenge each other because we're nervous about the reaction. We just let each other float along sometimes. And so then when we're hurting, this doesn't feel like a place where we can bring our whole selves. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I see glimpses of people letting each other into their lives. We see this at times. We see this in smaller communities, and I'm not sure that coffee hour is the place for that. But there are places in this community where you can be all of yourself. The joy and the pain, the hurt of wrestling with what does it mean to be a parent? Or how can I deal with what's going on in school? Or I just don't understand where I'm at in this moment. The grief that comes with missing a loved one. Or the deep grief that may have come for some moms or some dads this week of wishing they were taking a back-to-school picture, whether those parents were, whether, whether those kids have graduated, or whether those kids have already left the earth, or whether those kids were just hoped for for so many years. How can we be a place where that kind of pain gets supported and cared for? That kind of wrestling shows up. How can we build each other up, be unafraid to say the hard thing, and stick with someone when it's really awkward and really painful? I want to say this. There is no other place on earth you should feel more cared for than in Jesus Christ's church, period. There is no other place where you should feel more hoped for to walk through the door, more celebrated when your heart is full of God's love and more cared for when you're in pain than right here in the church. Why do we talk so much about things like guest services? Because people matter. And nobody should be able to walk through the door and go, I don't know if they cared whether or not I was here. I want you to hear this today. You matter to us. And as a church, I want to be a church that bleeds that. I believe God's calling us to that. And I believe a whole bunch of you are, have said the same thing over and over again.
when I close my eyes, I see a church that makes a big impact. You want to know a secret? I don't care how many people come to church. I, I don't. Some of you will tell me when you don't come to church. I need you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. The number of people who are a part of this church it is not important to me. And when I forget that and I get all excited about numbers, you have to tell me because I can get my identity all wrapped up in church. Like, it's getting bigger, so I must be doing a good job. No, 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 no. God does God's work, and I'm just here to serve. I don't care if this church gets bigger. I don't care if it gets to 10,000 or if it stays at exactly the same size or half of you leave today and you're like, I do care if half of you leave. Don't get me wrong. It will drive me crazy and make me sad, and I will grieve. But I also want you to hear this, that numbers aren't the point. Impact is the point. Here's what I care about. This church packs meals because it cares that people are hungry. And there are people in countries halfway around the world who ate this week because last November you raised money and packed meals so that they could eat. I care that you serve around this community, whether it's at the Special Olympics, where you support people uh, who are just this incredible blessing to our world, and you say that everyone matters no matter what. You serve when the epilepsy walk comes along, and you show up in droves, and you say, we want to be here because we care about the community, and we care about people being cared for in our community. I'm so proud that this church gives to things. You give financially every month to a group called uh, Mission of Hope in Haiti. And that money goes directly to support a church uh, in, in about 45 minutes outside of Port-au-Prince in a place called Simonette because you care that people hear the gospel in a faraway place. You make an impact there, and you make an impact by giving a monthly gift through this church to Churches United. And when we bring things to you, you show up in droves because it matters. What you do matters. I love that this church sends kids to Bible camp and supports mission trips because you're making an impact on the next generation. You're saying that, that kids in this church aren't the church of the future, they're the church of the present, and we want them to be here now, and we want them to be equipped to be able to do God's ministry here and now. Here's the thing. I don't care if I serve a big church, but I care a lot if we get to be a church that makes a big impact on the world. That when we get to the end of this, whatever it is, whatever this journey is, that we have changed lives because people matter to us. The question we keep asking ourselves is, are people's lives being changed because of what we're doing together? And the answer is yes, but I, I think that we're just getting started. To be real honest, I think we're just scratching the surface of what that looks like. That we as a community are going to continue to be a church that makes a bigger and bigger impact. Uh, Jeff, who came on staff to be our, our, our outreach director, he's been talking about this forever. And I think that, that his part of being a part of this community and leading in that way, I think that's going to help us as a community be able to go forward. But it's not one person. It's this community showing up day after day and week after week and saying, we care and we want to make a difference as a church. But when I close my eyes, I also see a church that adds people to their numbers. Not the number of attendees, or not the number, but the number of people who are coming into faith. You see, here's the thing. How can the church make the greatest impact? Any organization can serve meals. Any organization can volunteer. The unique thing that the church brings is this message, that Jesus is Lord, 
and that we are loved and that every human being, whether they be your neighbor or across the street or across town or across the world, needs and wants and would benefit from hearing this good news. That God is calling us as his children. He wants us to share our hearts with him. He wants us to walk into those waters of baptism or to renew that promise that was made by our parents. He wants us to hear that people who might spend their eternity apart from God would know Jesus, would hear this good news, that their relationship with God would start here and now. I've often said this, that I am what I would call a hopeful universalist. I really hope on the last day that God opens the doors and lets everybody in. But until then, the promise is this, that you and I are called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And while I hope, I also know that God's perspective is bigger than mine. And so I'm going to serve the God in the way that God calls me and bring this good news and renew this hope. Sharing our faith is essential. It's essential for who we are. It's essential for what we do because it's what we can bring as a church. That in the midst of the mire and the muck and the difficulty of some of those moments of our life, that we can remember that God will never leave us, that God loves us, and that God loves us unconditionally. And he continues to invite us to be in this relationship with him, this relationship that changes lives. People need good news. Some people who need good news will walk in the door of the church. But to be real honest, that's not where the majority of the people who need to hear that Jesus loved them are. They're at restaurants and gyms and um, workplaces and schools and hanging out and going for a walk and all over the place. They're the same places that you guys are at. And we can be the ones who in those moments of heartache and pain can say, this is where I found my hope. This is where I found my joy. When I close my eyes, I see a church that learns to love others enough to tell them that God loves them and is calling them home. That's what I see. Maybe that's what you see too. Maybe you see something slightly different. And this conversation will continue to go on as we figure it out as a community. But the reality is, is I think we're just beginning. We're just beginning the hope of what we're going to see as a community. And so I pray that whether or not we add space to a building, which is something we've talked about, whether or not we talk about new ministries, whether or not we celebrate all these things, I pray that we are a church that makes an impact, that loves people, that shares the good news, that goes out and continues to be an amazing, amazing force to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you taught us these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that as we close our eyes and envision who we're going to be together, that those would be the words that would mark us. Your kingdom, your will, your people on earth, as we will be together as we celebrate in heaven. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord, and together God's people said, Amen. Amen.